Welcome back to Franchise Festival, where we go in-depth with the history of noteworthy video game series from the last 30 years. We've been covering The Legend of Zelda for Season 1, and we'll be wrapping that topic up today with spiritual successors and our final impressions on the series. Next, we'll be moving on to Capcom's Resident Evil for Season 2 in July 2021. If you like what you hear, you can find us online at FranchiseFestivalPodcast.com or under the handle at Franchise underscore Fest on Twitter. You can also write to us at FranchiseFestival at gmail.com if you have any suggestions, questions, or other feedback. As ever, we're your hosts, Christian. And I'm Hamilton. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Spencer. Let's talk Legend of Zelda Spiritual Successors. As something of a major tentpole series in the video game medium, it's not surprising that Legend of Zelda would influence a lot of other titles. The first of these was Crusader of Senti for the Sega Genesis, or Sega Mega Drive for you uh, listeners outside of North America. This was developed by Nextech and published by Sega on that platform in uh, 1994 in Japan and 1995 in North America. This game is startlingly similar to Link to the Past. It's got a main character named Corona. He loses the ability to speak to humans in the intro of the game, but gains the ability to speak to animals, which ends up serving as the main uh, tool-gathering element of Crusader of Senti, where uh, the, the protagonist Corona meets new animals, and they join him, at which point they give him either combat or exploration abilities to open up more of the world. Uh, this game is depicted from a top-down perspective. It, it looks like the spitting image of Link to the Past. Wouldn't you say so, folks? Mm-hmm. I would say so, yeah. Definitely. One of its more interesting features is that it has a world map. And not like an overworld of Hyrule like you'd find in a Zelda game, but more like a, like Super Mario World. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It reminded mm-hmm. me of Super Mario World. Yeah, it almost feels like um, like uh, Sega just asked for Next Tech to develop like the ultimate Super Nintendo game for the Genesis. <laughs> and just like throw everything into the pot. Like throw a little yeah, right. Zelda in there, throw a little Super Mario World in there. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. What did everybody think of this one? Uh, Jasmine, what did you think of this game? I, I did really want to try to like it. I, I didn't I didn't go into it with negative thoughts. But, but wow. <laughs> it, it may be that it was okay at the time, mm-hmm. but nowadays it's just so dang unpolished. It's it is. nearly unplayable. Yes. Uh, the, yeah. The, I would have to say, like, when you swing your sword, like, because you cut bushes, just like in, in Zelda. So you swing your sword to cut bushes, and about only half of those connect, usually somewhere yeah. in the middle of your sword. So, like, the whole sword swing does not cut down all the bushes like it does in Link to the Past. Oh, no, no, no. It just cuts down, like, a little bit. 
Yeah. So you like have to cut down, you have to mow down bush after bush after it's like, and so tedious. And it's like, well, Jasmine, don't just, just don't cut down bushes then. And like, okay, okay. But, but the game makes you grind for cash in the beginning so that you can get the throw the sword technique. Yes. You have to, the game will not let you get away with not doing it. So I had to grind for money. And and I guess it gets better if you can throw your sword. It, it actually does better at mowing the grass. But it was really obnoxious to have to interact with this broken system. And, and fighting the enemies is, is often the same. Yep. You know, I would, I would swing at enemies and miss. And I'm like, what? It hit them. Yeah, I actually, I had that problem with Link to the Past even um, with regard to the hit detection. Uh-huh. But it's magnified dramatically here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really bad. This is the start of a problem that we'll see with other Legend of Zelda spiritual successors where it it uh, seems to dramatically misunderstand what the appeal uh, is yeah. what the appeal mm-hmm. is of the Legend of Zelda. I, I yeah, I, I, I like that. I agree with that. Yeah, like the the beginning of this is so front loaded with dialogue yes. and with just yes. opaque progression. Like, you can get to several areas, but it's not even remotely clear how you progress through them. Right? That that was the other thing. It kind of leads into that, is that I don't even know what the point of the game is. I mean, you know, there's a lot <laughs> right. of text, and there's a lot, you know, of, you know, doing stuff and seeing stuff before you actually, like, get into the game. But I don't actually know what the point is. What am I trying to do? It's not even as simple as, oh, save the princess. I don't no. even know what my goal was supposed to be. Did I miss that somehow? No, now that you mention it, it's like the main character turns 14 and that's when he gets his sword. Right. And he goes to the castle and gets a sword, but then just embarks on kind of an amorphous adventure. Yeah. 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 It's like, what am I doing? It's like, why yeah. am I out here? Yeah, exactly. As you said, the uh, the hitbox and everything. I mean, I saw you play it for a little bit, Chris. I remember back when. Right. Yeah. On Twitch. But yeah. um, right. suffering through it for me. I've yes. died so many times to enemies. And the fact that just right? like it's just a broken freaking system. I it is. I don't it like is. when something just doesn't work because it's built to not work. Yeah. Right? It's like a it's like being given a test, but it's for the wrong chapter. Like I don't <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, and someone taught someone something, but it wasn't me. So I'm swinging my sword around like an idiot and just dying to enemies <laughs> that are literally in front of me. I know, right? And they and, hit you, yeah. and they get to hit you all the time. And you yep. have like, I you have what we call iframes or invincibility right, right, frames. Yeah. Usually they're pretty generous in games. Uh, uh-uh, uh, not this game. <laughs> yeah, it, it has a lot more in common with like NES Zelda than it does with Super Nintendo Zelda, as far as uh, yeah cruelty goes. Could, yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that statement. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, and it's a shame because it looks gorgeous. Like, the it presentation does. for this is one of the best-looking Genesis games I've seen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really nice. It was really pretty. I mean, I got... Oh, another thing I wanted to mention is they start adding platforming once you learn how to jump. <laughs> uh, they let you do this platforming thing, but again, it doesn't do the platforming very well. And there's another area that was after where Chris played. I don't know if you guys ever got to it. It's mm-hmm. like this ocean thing and you have to, and the wind is blowing at cross directions and you oh, have no. to platform your way through these islands. And that's where I literally gave up because I was like, this is awful. And the platforming is so imprecise. I literally fell in the water all the time, which you fall in the water, you die because water mm-hmm. is insta-death. Yep. 
And I'm like, I said, I was like, nope, I can't take it anymore. I put it down. Like, I'm not playing this anymore. This is miserable. Yep. <laughs> there maybe that's opinion. why it's never been re-released because uh you know sega has to maintain the mystique that maybe it's a good game yeah right. um for for listeners who are interested in this uh rather than seeking out and playing it i would recommend looking up the video by the gaming historian on it uh he did a really oh, great yeah. historical overview of this and what's sort of notable and interesting about it so you can really you can get quite a bit out of that without actually getting the unenjoyable experience of playing yeah, it. Yeah, don't subject mm. yourself to this. I wouldn't even bother trying it. Nope. nope. The only not. fun thing is that you see Sonic the Hedgehog in the game, apparently. Yes, yes, yes. That's, That's the, the best part. part. <laughs> that was the best part. Don't mess. Yeah, yeah. So- Sonic's famous <laughs> Sonic's famous uh, slogan, don't mess. Don't mess or you'll get burned. <laughs> don't mess. <laughs> I still laugh about that. Too. It's so good. <laughs> And it's just a reused Sonic the Hedgehog sprite of him lounging. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. it. Is. It's great. <laughs> That's the only yeah. good thing about the game. It yep. is. Uh, the next game we have on here is Blossom Tales, which uh, was released. as developed by Castle Pixel and published by FDG Entertainment for the PC and Switch, uh, released in 2017. Yeah. This game helped kickstart the popularity of the Switch as an indie platform when its sales on Switch were 20 times those on the PC. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. like Link to the Past, this has a similar... and In fact, this was also inspired by Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly. I think it even says so in its um, advertising text. Like, oh, for those nice. who like Link to the Past and want a challenge, but has a lot of the same items, you know, bombs, arrows, boomerang, that kind of thing. Uh, the really cute thing about it is how it has uh, the framing device is the fa- is a grandfather uh, who's telling the story of the game to his grandkids. And every so often they interject with um, commentary or, or a choice for the player to like decide which enemy they want to fight or, or yeah. something silly like that. It's actually really cute. Was uh, the main character confronted by pirates or ninjas? That sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, pirate queen, yes! Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Pirate Queen represent. Good choice. Yep. <laughs> um, it did pull the uh, the stamina system from Link Between Worlds. Yeah, what a wild choice. Yeah, good good point. I can't say I, it was always great because I felt like I was always running out of the energy, whereas I didn't feel like that when I was playing Link Between Worlds. So, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a little bit more uh, finely tuned to force the player to change up their playstyle. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Yeah. So, um, Hamilton, what did you think of this game? I like the old style feel of the game. Mm-hmm. I like the old style top down feeling of it. Um, it played very solidly. Um, it wasn't cheap. Um, and it says it just like I didn't have any cheap deaths or anything like that. It was just kind of an interesting right. little puzzle. Yeah. So, uh, for me, I actually thought it was very charming, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd make the case that this is a must-play for Switch owners. Yes. Mm-hmm. Between the uh, the soundtrack, which is just superlative, and mm-hmm. uh, just the fact that it does Zelda about as well as Nintendo does. It does. Like, it this is, is yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is a stronger traditional Zelda game, I would argue, than Oracle of Ages or Oracle of Seasons. It was very linked to the past. It is very fun. Yeah, exactly. 
And you'd be you'd be a little f- afraid that it's too derivative. Like you're not going to get yeah. anything out of it. It's just going to be like a pale shadow of Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. But it isn't because a its framing device ends up really impacting the narrative in some cool ways. Like you said, Jasmine. Yeah. yeah. But also because some of its tools function very differently from how they do in the Zelda games. Like the boomerang here is much more versatile, I found, yes. than in a typical top-down Zelda game. Yeah, the boomerang. They, they did some really interesting stuff with it. Um, they have you move, and like the boomerang moves in an arc, and there's a yes. lot of puzzles based around that, which was really fascinating. Yeah, the dungeon puzzles in this are really cool. It it yeah. leans on the moving block puzzles, the sort of Sokoban style, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I just can't get enough of, so I'm yeah. all there for that. But it also <laughs> uses those puzzles where you like you walk over tiles and you can't rewalk over one tile, so you have to kind of figure out your route through a room. Yes, yes. And they were always that. fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed those puzzles. I thought they were great. Spencer, did you want to tell us about Cadence of Hyrule? I would love to. <laughs> uh, so Cadence of Hyrule is a Zelda spinoff uh, that developed for the Switch in 2019. Uh, this was developed by a company called Brace Yourself Games of Crypt of the Necrodancer fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, published by Nintendo in the West and Spike Chunsoft in Japan. Uh, this is a kind of Crypt of the Necrodancer Legend of Zelda crossover. Yeah. For those of you that aren't familiar, Crypt of the Necrodancer is a rhythm roguelike. Uh, it was developed because um, the folks over at Brace Yourself Games really loved the original Rogue, but didn't really like some of the RN- like the luck-dependent uh, nature of it. Yeah. So they wanted an a- kind of a more action-oriented roguelike. And when Spelunky came out, they all loved that, but they wanted to make something themselves that was a lot closer to the original Rogue. Mm-hmm. And that eventually turned into Crypt of the Necrodancer. After that game saw so much success, they ported it to the Switch, and they began collaborating with Nintendo because they were looking to kind of get permission to use some Zelda music and some Zelda um, likenesses to just make like a little free DLC promotional material yeah. for the Switch release. Hmm. And it ended up becoming so meaty, and Nintendo was so impressed with hmm. uh, the prototype that they put in front of them that they all agreed that it should just be developed into its own separate game. Yeah, this is pretty wild. Wow. This is Nintendo uh, was was so impressed that this became the first Zelda spin-off developed by a non-Japanese studio since 1994's disastrous Zelda's Adventure. <laughs> uh, just just to speak to how this resembles Rogue as opposed to what listeners might be thinking of with roguelikes is, uh, you know, the term roguelike at this point encompasses a fairly heterogeneous selection of uh, mechanics and tropes and so forth. You know, it's it's uh, maybe it's permadeath or maybe it is procedurally generated areas and so forth. In this case, uh, this game hews much closer to the rogue or Spike Chunsoft mystery dungeon style of game where it's like a top-down perspective with a tiled overworld and tiled dungeons, 
where the player character moves between those tiles and enemies likewise move between the tiles. Uh, but the key here is that it's not purely turn-based, whereas in those older games, enemies would move when the player moves. In this case, there's a constant pounding soundtrack that impacts when the player should move and when all of the enemies move. Uh, and because it's you know a rhythm game and that soundtrack is so dependent, the musical score, both in Necrodancer and Cadence of Hyrule, is incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything is composed by Danny Banerowski from... Uh, Binding of Isaac and Super Meat Boy fame. Yeah. And I don't really know how else to put it. All the remixes and the sound is very, very good. And there are some instances where, as a, as a fan of the original, the Zelda music and the Crypt of the Necrodancer level music are kind of blended together pretty seamlessly uh, in a way that's very impressive. The yeah. art is great, too. Uh, it runs very smoothly on the Switch, and the sprite work is great. They're all detailed. The animations are very smooth and very cute. Yeah, call me crazy. It almost feels like Link to the Past by way of Minish Cap. Like, it has the expressiveness of Minish Cap, but the overall aesthetic style of Link to the Past. The puzzles are fun. Uh, you have to go to the pacing of the music. Um, yeah. so anyone that's played like a rhythm game would have a pretty good understanding. It's like how it goes, you know, you got to go to the beat. You got to walk to the music and you also have to fight Just to like the that. music. Yep. For me, it was not quite as much fun as other rhythm games because I found it kind of like going to the beat was a lot of grinding to me. Um, yeah. because I really had to, I can't really... Legend of Zelda for me is kind of its own pace, it's kind of its own adventure. Um, and I love rhythm games, but for this one, when I kind of had to temper my movement to the sound of the music, I got kind of frustrated because yeah. there are times where I want to go faster or go slower. I want to go here and mm-hmm. go there. And it's just like, nope, you have to, you have to wait, you know, kick, 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 kick. And I was like, but I don't want to. <laughs> I want to go faster. Yeah. I want to get this done. You know, I want to swing my sword. Um, so that's kind of what affected it for me. Granted, I think that that's kind of such a small thing because the game itself is still really good. And in that vein, I'm going to hand that over to Spencer so uh, he can give you the uh, the good parts. It's worth noting, you do not always have to move to the beat. When you first move to a new screen and there's still enemies populating that screen, you do have to move and attack to the rhythm it gives you. But once all the enemies on the screen are dead, it actually stops requiring you to do that so that you can move around and backtrack as quickly or or as slowly as you um, please. Oh, yeah. Good point. So, yeah, if you close each area or clear out each area first of enemies and then you run around trying to solve the puzzle, you're not being kind of bottlenecked by uh, whatever tempo the music is at. Oh, gosh, I couldn't remember. Yep. Uh, also, there is an option to turn that mechanic off entirely and you can play this more Wait, like just like a normal turn-based row game yep oh what <laughs> well that yeah that okay yep. i'm replaying the game then oh. i didn't know yeah it's 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 a a good feature but it's one of those things where um it, it almost um like obviates the key selling point of the game right so uh so it's good that it offers that opportunity for folks for whom the rhythm element isn't uh, doesn't work but also like you wouldn't want to recommend that to first timers of course yeah, I, I would recommend, even if it's, I mean, I give this game a hearty recommendation. 
So if you decide you want to try, if you're curious about it, but the idea of having to play it to that rhythm is just like no sell for you, I'd still kind of encourage you to at least give it a shot before turning it off. I think the game might feel a little simplistic without it, because obviously the puzzles are pared down to pretty simple, like block pushing and mm -hmm. finding a key and bringing it to a place puzzles, because you can't really incorporate something more complicated when you're also trying to do it to a tempo. So if you turned that whole mechanic off, it might feel a little boring. Yeah, it would be like yeah. playing Skyward Sword without motion controls. Right. Okay. And uh, that being said, I mean, even with everything that I said, like, I'm never shy about saying that a game is not worth playing as, you know, Crusader of Senti, whatever the hell that game was called. Um, <laughs> this game, I would, I would recommend giving it a try anyway, um, even though I didn't even know you could turn off the tempo part. Just playing it for the music and playing it for the sprite work alone would warrant a playthrough. And actually, I kind of look forward to replaying it again, just tweaking a few, th uh, few stuff. Yeah, give it a look. So our next section here is 3D Zelda spiritual successors. So these are games that were influenced, inspired by, or similar to 3D Zelda games from Ocarina of Time to Twilight Princess. The first of these is a real oddity because of when it came out. This is Mystical Ninja starring Gomon, which was developed and published by Konami for the Nintendo 64 in 1997. This actually predates Ocarina of Time by over a year. It has a lot of 2D Zelda DNA in a 3D form before Nintendo had actually pulled that off, which I think is kind of interesting historically. One of the things that it lacks for that reason is Z-targeting, uh, much like Mega Man Legends, which was another kind of Zelda-esque game, although far removed from the, the core Zelda mechanics, but much like Mega Man Legends, which had a similar combat system to Ocarina of Time, this lacks Z-targeting, and so targeting enemies in this is much harder than it would be when Nintendo came up with its own elegant solution to 3D combat in 98. I feel like calling this a spiritual successor to 3D Zeldas is weird, since it does predate them. Also, huh. mechanically and design-wise, I don't. it's not like too much in common with it. Uh, the dungeon layouts are kind of similar in the way that, you know, you do collect items that are kind of analogs to the dungeon map and the compass uh, in the Goemon dungeons. Right. When I think of Zelda, the hallmark of it is the way that you accumulate new tools and then that tool set uh, kind of manifests in new puzzles right. that require kind of different implementations of that tool. This doesn't really have that. This is a lot more combat focused. The only yeah. item that's really kind of fills that role as the chain pipe, which is not dissimilar from how a hookshot works in Zelda games. But that's kind of it. Now, as a counterpoint, though, I feel like what this does instead of having tools that Goemon acquires, it has uh, new characters that join your squad. So you can't explore water areas until you get the mermaid, and you can't explore 
undersized areas until you get the little doll. That is true. I have to give you that. Um, maybe we should ask, what can Zelda learn from Mystical Ninja? Because I, for one, would yeah. like Link to pilot a giant mech version of himself on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't That's know solid. why there's not a sung Legend of Zelda theme song yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with without any other opportunity to do so... I will be plugging in the Mystical Ninja starring Goman theme song right here. So next up on the docket is Okami from 2006. Uh, Jasmine, I know this is uh, your particular cup of tea, so I was wondering if you could uh, introduce us to it. Sure. Yeah, so Okami uh, was... It was first developed by Clover and then published by... I might even published by Clover or Capcom. I can't remember. But then Clover got folded into Capcom. Right. Uh, somewhere in the middle. Um. So it's it's essentially Capcom now. Yeah. Uh, it was originally released for the PlayStation 2. Then it was uh, remade for the Wii. And then it was uh, uh, re... It was, what, what, the HD version for the PlayStation 3 and beyond. Yeah, now it's available on every console in existence. Exactly. And it's it's delightful. And I've, um, I've bought it four times now, just so you know. Same. But uh, yeah, Okami is basically... It's it's a three, 3D game... Um, the it's uh, heavily inspired by uh japanese folklore and mythology um it has beautiful uh art design i i'm not sure call, i'm not sure if you call it cell shaded or if it's more like ukiyo-e uh which is an art style um but yeah it's definitely inspired by japanese paintings yeah <laughs> i mean yeah the game is is huge it, it you know it, it has three major narrative acts i mean you think the game is over oh it's not you think oh this is the final boss yeah you didn't reach the final boss yet not even close yeah it almost feels like they knew that they would never get a proper sequel so they decided to make three okami games in one <laughs> right because i swear the first time i played it i got to the, the first major boss same same and i was like man the game's over already shoot that's sad oh no not even close and it does utilize uh, tool-gated Metro Metroidvania progression, so you have to collect tools, otherwise stuff is blocked off to you. Mm -hmm. In the vein of the art style, you use brush strokes to alter or interact with the game world or execute attacks. Yeah, this is one of the ways that the Switch version is really effective, because you yeah. can use the touchscreen if you're playing in handheld. So this game stars uh, Amaterasu, who is the sun god goddess i'm sorry the sun goddess uh, in shinto and isun uh the partner character slash midna slash nabby <laughs> <laughs> kind of like uh twilight princess you know you have wolf link and midna uh they're kind of similar although i wouldn't the, uh, i would say not not neither is really inspired by the other since they came out at the same time isn't that bizarre like that's one of the it's funnest facts bizarre. about this is that yes. like 
Isun and Amaterasu are so similar in terms of how they articulate to Midna and Wolflink. Yes. Despite yes. these two games being made simultaneously and having seemingly no creative contact between them. Yeah, it's so weird how stuff like that just happens. Nobody stole from anybody else. It just sometimes people come up with the same idea at the same time. It's the classic it, deep impact Armageddon scenario. I'll, I'll show you one up. It's the classic Dennis the Menace. What's that about? Uh, Dennis the Menace was a cartoon created in the US and the UK at the same time. No. By different creators. Yep. Really? Yep, absolutely. Hmm. Seriously. Fact Go of the podcast up. right there. <laughs> well, I got a ton of them. <laughs> <laughs> Newton and Leibniz invented calculus around the same time, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of these things are just in the zeitgeist, eh? It, they, yeah, it's they are. Sometimes stuff just, it just happens like that. Nobody had to steal from anybody else. Yeah. So, Spencer, what were your thoughts on this game? I did not get to play as much as I wanted to, but I thoroughly enjoyed what I did play. Oh, good. Um, I love that art style. Uh, I forget what you said the proper name was for it, but it's like really thick brushstroke outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost like wa- watercolor. Yeah, it's watercolor. Yeah, it's one of the most yeah. beautiful games ever made. Yeah, it looks incredible. The characters are all like really fun and goofy. Right off the bat, you meet a character. I think his name is just Mr. Orange. And <laughs> he's an old man who walks around with oranges stacked on his head. And you can go to his home and there's just giant oranges everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing that I, I really do like about this game that, that it does better than Zelda is I feel like um, everything that it does is very cohesive and it, it ties in with each other. Like you have the, the beautiful, gorgeous art, this brush stroke, water style, you know, watercolor style art, which yeah. of course you use a brush to interact with the world and, you, and you're a god and you have powers so you can manifest things in the world and the things that you manifest, you can change the world um, and you get uh, the experience of the game, which is called praise. And um, the praise is used to level up your skills, your health, you know, so basically your health, magic, and uh, that kind of money pouch kind of thing. Yeah. And um, which, of course, makes you stronger, of course, so you can do more things in the world and manifest yourself more strongly. I mean, it's I just really like how it all feeds into itself, you know, with art the brush, the experience, you know, none of it feels like a separate, distinct system. They all feel like they kind of go together. Yeah, it's very holistically designed as opposed to being yeah. modular. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, you know, I really like that. I really like the powers that you get. The brush strokes are, um, they're all very nature related. You know, they have to do with like different elements, you know, water, fire, plant. It's like you're bringing uh, life back to the world almost. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought that, that um, that's really cool and interesting. It's, it's what it does better than Zelda rather than having separate discrete systems. Uh, now for some trivia, um, some things that, about the game that you may not know, um, unless you've studied, you know, if you've studied the game, of course, you'll know. You'll, if you studied Japanese mythology, of course, you'll know this stuff. But um, right. So it's rather random. The weapons that you get, you get a mirror, well, a sword. Well, that's pretty good. And some beads. And yeah. these are like really random. You're like, why am I? Why do I have these weapons? Because these three items are the imperial regalia of Japan. They essentially represent the royalty. Oh, I've Japan. always wondered about that. Okay. Uh huh. Yep. So another tie-in <laughs> is uh, the constellations 
uh, slash powers that you get in the game. They're all associated with different animals. And those are the animals of the Zodiac, specifically uh, the the Japanese or Chinese Zodiac, mm-hmm. not the Western Zodiac. Right. You know, like the dragon, the ox, the rat, the rabbit. Oh, cool. One, one interesting thing is there's 13 powers. So you're like, okay, well, what's the 13th one? Yeah. That's the cat. The cat <laughs> is notoriously not in the Zodiac, which there's actually a whole other story about that in that when... Um, I, I'm not sure if it was like the emperor or, or some, somebody was handing out the constellations. Um, the rat tricked the cat into saying that, oh yeah, you'll wake up before your nap is over mm-hmm. in time to make it for, you know, the, the ceremony and stuff. And of course they, the rat lied to the cat and the cat did not wake up and was notoriously left out. That's so appropriately, that's so appropriate <laughs> for a cat, you know, napping on the job. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So that's why there's still a cat uh, in the Zodiac in the game, but not not in the traditional Zodiac. How fun. Yeah. Uh, one really cool detail I wanted to point out. I don't know. Maybe you didn't notice. Maybe you did. But this is so cool. Um, when you paint as Amaterasu, you use your tail as a brush. I never noticed that. Yep. Yeah, that's why your tail is black, because it's ink. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So (laughs) next time watch when you do the brush painting, it's your tail that comes down that you paint with. Yeah, I will. Yeah. So there you go. There's some Okami trivia for you. Yeah, that's a great game. Go play it. Yeah, for goodness sake. This thing is, I think, $20 on Switch, and it is one of the best games of the last 20 years. So get yourself to Okami stat. Yes. Next up, we have Darksiders, which I think you have more experience with than any of the rest of us. Darksiders was kind of like an action-adventure game uh, published in 2010 uh, by THQ, developed by Vigil Games. Uh, I recall R.I.P. Vigil being... Games. R.I.P. Vigil mm. Games. R.I.P. kind of to THQ. Yeah, true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, I guess they're still around, but I don't know how much of it's the same as it was after the whole... No, that's a story for another Yeah, we, we, we come from dust, and to dust we shall all return. Yeah. Um, I remember this being received pretty positively. It got a sequel, and then years later, uh, a second one. Yeah. It's been re-released multiple times on newer platforms, including the Wii U. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was kind of like a remaster of it called the War Mastered Edition uh, that was released as well. I think everyone who owned it on Steam got the the upgrade for free. Yeah, that's the version I've played. That's the version you can get on modern consoles. Yeah. Uh, It is a 3D game. It's got sort of like a Metroidvania-style progression where your progress is gated um, kind of by, like, environmental obstacles that can be circumnavigated by new movement abilities and tools that you get throughout the game's dungeons. The combat is not Zelda-like. In fact, the combat segments, particularly in the overworld, are very reminiscent of God of War. Yeah. 
or maybe even Bayonetta. Hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm just making that connection because of the whole like angels and demons. Uh, no, theme, I could but... see that though because it's got a it's got one of those combat systems where you unlock new combos by accumulating points. Well, I think both God of War and Devil May Cry have that too, right? Oh, okay. I'm more familiar with uh, with Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. Yeah, it's it's very much in that vein of games, though. Yeah, I guess we should maybe start with the plot. So, in Darksiders, you control War, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, mm-hmm. and the setup is that uh, there's kind of a ceasefire between angels and demons to not initiate the quote end war uh, until apparently mankind is prepared to be involved in it yeah so there are these seven seals on earth that when they are broken uh that will signal the you know the war to resume and the the four horsemen will ride and kind of herald that in so as war you get the go signal you get the green light you hop on down to earth angels and demons are already fighting mankind is completely wiped out uh and then you get teleported and kind of blamed for this because apparently the seals were not broken oh yeah, you are you are stand accused of basically being coerced by demons to start the war prematurely and kill all the humans. And you say, no, 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 I swear I got the I got the signal. I got the thing that the seventh seal was broken. Uh, let me go down to Earth and investigate and find out what happened. If I succeed, then, you know, we can bring him to justice. And if I fail, well, I'm going to get killed by demons anyway. So it is what it is. And that's the game. You run around killing demons and making real suspicious and dubious deals with different demons to try to figure out uh, what happened and who tricked you into thinking the seal was broken. I do like that the aesthetic of this is heavy metal album cover that's playable. It does kind of look like that. Um, all the care it's it's kind of really representative of the time it came out too because all <laughs> the characters are proportioned like a Gears of War characters. <laughs> Good observation. I don't know what that look is. Yeah, they're all like as wide as they are tall. Their biceps are bigger around than their legs. Yeah, it's that it's that early HD era, like that circa 2010 kind of look. I don't know what that is. It's a lot more colorful than contemporaries, though. It is pretty colorful, yeah. Uh, the writing's kind of bad. It's it's so it's embarrassing how desperate this game is trying to like come across as edgy with every single word that comes out of War's mouth. Yeah. Your character sounds like the uh, the Christian Bale Batman growl every word he speaks. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's um, pretty funny. I'm kind of making fun of it now, but when this came out, I was... How old was I when this came out? I was like 19 when this came out, and man, I gobbled it up. I liked this game an awful lot when it first released. It's not a bad game. Like, it's it's quite enjoyable. It's uh, yeah. It wasn't exactly up my alley in the same way that God of War doesn't tend to be. Like... A little of this kind of thing goes a long way for me. I like bringing this up. I was kind of shocked. I remember this being a lot more Zelda-like, but when Mm -hmm. you first play it up, it doesn't seem Zelda-like at all. It seems pretty much just like a God of War clone. Yeah, It's in the specific dungeon segments. It, like, completely flips and I think is the closest to, like, a Zelda dungeon structure, well, except for maybe Blossom Tales, of anything we've played. Yeah, Uh, I agree. It, like, pretty much steals Zelda puzzles wholesale uh you get a boomerang item and you use it you know similar to like the gale boomerang in twilight princess where you can highlight multiple targets and you have to you know throw the boomerang to hit the switches in the right order or use it to bring one object over to another object that it interacts with 
there's I don't remember what it's called here, but there's an analog to bomb flowers. Yeah. So there's navigation puzzles where you have to like grab a bomb flower, then find the route that gets it to the place where you need to blow up. Yeah, and Vigil Games wore this influence on their sleeve. Uh, they even produced a, a piece of promotional art for the second Darksiders game that directly references the promo art for Skyward Sword. So they were pretty explicit about drawing from the Zelda well on their own series. So our next and final section of spiritual successors here is the open world style of Zelda game. This is, as you'd imagine, listeners, a much shorter span of time. This is pretty much just post-2017 and post-Breath of the Wild. So the broader medium hasn't had a lot of time to develop games inspired by Breath of the Wild. However, there are a couple that we'd like to highlight here. The first one is Genshin Impact, which came out last year, 2020. Hamilton, did you want to kick this off for us? Yeah. So, um, Genshin Impact, uh, was developed by, uh, MiHoYo. Yeah. For, uh, PS4, PC, and mobile, uh, systems. Um, soon to come will be the Switch and PS5 versions, but they're still working on that. Mm-hmm. It became the highest grossing game of, uh, October 2020, worldwide. And uh, was one of the most successful launches of a mobile RPG in the U.S. Yeah, this is really important to place in a historical context, because historically Chinese development studios have not experienced a ton of commercial success in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, Historically, where you tend to see Chinese development studios in the credits for games that got popular in the U.S. are as like outsourced art designers. But this kind of flipped the script on that. This is a fully Chinese-developed game that was a huge hit in the West. It has that kind of free-to-play feel in the sense that you can start it. Um, now, one thing I'll note about the game is that, uh, kind of like World of Warcraft and stuff like that, you can kind of buy to win. But unlike World of Warcraft, it is a bit more open to the world, as if you play it, you will accomplish things and you will get better gear. Yeah. Unlike World of Warcraft, where honestly, sometimes I feel like if you just spend the right amount of money, you're basically just unstoppable. Yeah. It's based on like open world, open world 3D game. Think of like, trying to think, think of uh, your typical cell shaded uh, 3D anime game that's come out, what, like Xenoblade or things like that? Yeah, a little like that. I feel like its art style is very reminiscent of, like, Tales or Gust's yes. Atelier series. It's very Tales. It's kind of yeah. cartoony, uh, kind of shiny. Yep. But the world look is very Breath of the Wild. Like, it's it's yeah, very it open. It is very uh, open. Very open concept. And the visuals <laughs> are very cool. Um, yeah. The action scenes are really cool. It's something that I would not expect from a free game, to be perfectly honest. Um, yep, I agree. I was, when I was playing it, I was just like, Wow, this is kind of mind-blowing. Also, the uh, voice acting. I mean, I actually know some of the voice actors, because I'm a nerd, mm. and I like dubs. 
Yeah. So <laughs> just to just to dwell on this for a moment, I think the four of us all played with different voice acting on this game. Uh, Jasmine and Spencer, I think you played with Japanese voice acting, and Hamilton yep. and I played with English voice acting. Mm-hmm. I was actually, I'm with you, Hamilton. I was overall really impressed with the voice acting in the English dub for this, with one notable exception that I think we'll talk about here shortly. (laughs) But otherwise, like, the voice acting is top-notch on this. It really is. Like, they actually hired some, like, really good Funimation dubbers to come in and do it. So, (laughs) um, there are some voices that are inconceivably annoying. As a sub-person, I probably would have listened to it in English if not for that one voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, Bummer. I was like, are you, it's just like, stop talking. So I'm kind of dense. Are we talking about Paimon? We are. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. We are. So, so yeah. Just, just making sure. Just to take a step back on that for a moment. Um, this, uh, so while this broadly resembles uh, Breath of the Wild in terms of how the gameplay articulates, you are, you know, a, an avatar scene from the third person and you wander around this big open world with Tons of, like, cool towns and NPCs and monster camps and everything. Strangely, you're joined by a partner character that's much more in line with earlier 3D Zelda games. Think, like, Navi from Ocarina of Time or a significantly more annoying version of Midna from Twilight Princess. This character's name is Paimon, and because your avatar character, you can choose between one of two avatar characters, a male or a female, and they are a silent protagonist, so this mm-hmm. uh, this partner character functions as kind of their voice in the world and their way to interact with others. And this little, like, floating fairy character is just mind-bendingly irritating. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. My main challenges with this game were that the interesting parts of it are so buried under cruft, just layers and layers of... Like, you click the menu in this, and you're greeted with, like, 15 to 18 different icons. You need multiple different types of currency to buy things. You can't simply buy equipment. You need to gather materials to make equipment. And it's clearly designed around microtransactions. Mm -hmm. And so at every point, the, like, the engaging minute-to-minute movement and combat of this game is hampered by the fact that it's free to play. Like if there was a $60 version of this that eliminated a lot of those interface issues and currency issues, it would be amazing. Yeah. That was kind of like my biggest thing too. It's just like Mm. looking at it, it's very visual, visually appealing to the point where you're kind of questioning, like why is this free to play? Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. towns are so cool. Like the towns are so populated Mm -hmm. and, and detailed. Except you can't go into every building. You can in Breath of the Wild. Oh, good, good point. Yeah, these are on a much more surface level. You're right. It's kind of like Breath of the Wild Light, where it's like, yeah, here's yeah. a game. You know, it has all the, the best mechanics, but it's like if you really want the full experience, then you got to start paying some money. Now, Jasmine, I think you like this game much more than me. I bounced off of this really hard. What yeah, was your I take on have. this? I must have. Um, cause I was going to push back on some, some of what you're saying. Good, good, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was a very popular game, so I might be making a fool of myself here. So no, it's, it's like, okay. please push back. And, and I want to fully admit that I did not like how this game looked. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't mind anime. I'm mean, obviously I watch it, but you know, they, they push it real hard. So it's like, and they, and they push the whole waifu thing. And um, honestly, that's a turnoff to me. So I went into this game actively disliking it i was Hmm. looking for reasons to hate it and yet it it charmed me it it 
it moved me somehow and, and and now I love playing it and I would push back and say that no you don't have to spend money at all they want you to oh do they want you to <laughs> but it is absolutely unnecessary and I'm pretty sure you can get through the game I haven't paid anything um well d- disclosure I have paid a little bit <laughs> but I have not paid for you know like any characters or anything it's like i I gave him five dollars because i thought it was worth it yeah like i'm inclined to pay some money even for a free-to-play game because people worked to make it yeah people worked on this they deserve some rewards so i I, full disclosure i have paid five dollars okay i gave him five dollars but everything else i have accomplished completely free you don't have to pay you can get through it with the characters they give you it's completely unnecessary yeah Mm mm-hmm and we haven't even talked about the battle mechanics. Yeah, explain those, yeah. It's really good. What you do is you have a set of four characters in your group, and you can switch between them at yeah. any time, but they're never all out at once. And they are all associated with a different element, and the different elements react with each other in different ways. And the enemies themselves have different elements. So it's actually kind of a strategy to try and defeat the enemies in um, the most effective way possible. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool feature, actually, the, the character mm-hmm. selection thing, um, because I only ended up uh, with where I got to in the game. I only had two characters, but getting to right. swap between like the main character who's fighting with a sword and my second character who's fighting with a bow, it feels yeah. almost like a more elegant version of like uh, a Hyrule Warriors or a Fire Emblem Warriors game. Where you're yeah. switching between characters with different weapon loadouts. Like, that was a pretty... That was, yeah. like, just a, a really strikingly elegant mechanic. I really like that. It is. And and when you get more characters after that, um, it, it the the battle system is really amazing. And yeah. it's, it's quite complex and, um, I would say, fun. Yeah, I always had fun fighting, yeah. Yeah. Spencer, what were you going to say about this? Oh, well, I was going to also push back on something you said, Chris. Because <laughs> you, I thought it was weird that you said that this is not like the normal like free-to-play game structure and then proceeded to explain the exact structure every popular free-to-play game <laughs> oh okay okay i might i might not have played enough free-to-play games as part of the it's problem okay. here yeah so go on yeah yeah well it's just the structure of you have a lot of different resources um that can be accumulated through playing the game and as jasmine said the game is completely playable uh, just for free accumulating those resources as you go but in order to kind of attain like the highest level or best stuff you can get in the game requires a significant time investment and then there is True. a financial option to bypass the time investment right. and that's where the game tends to get its money and i think genshin is kind of nice because it feels like that bar where at least i guess this is pretty subjective but the point where it feels like it is more worth it to pay the money than invest that amount of time is much higher in Genshin than normal. It's one of the best free-to-play games I've ever played. Like, the, the closest analog that I can think of is Fire Emblem Heroes, is it? Fire Emblem Heroes, I think, be. the mobile game. Which, like, you can spend money on, but is so generous and frankly engaging to play without spending money on it that uh, it's it's almost disincentivized to skip ahead. Right. It's really just the kind of the stuff around the edges, like the the interface system and so forth, that just kind of irritate me when I just want to um, have something a little more simplistic, I think. And that's, you know, I understand. I mean, I feel like I can agree 
with you, uh, Chris, in the sense that, like, I don't know if that's, like, me pushing, pushing back, but it's just, like, I kind (laughs) of understand the whole, like, I don't like complicated systems very much. Um, Same, yeah. I enjoy this game, don't get me wrong, but I was also just like, oh my god, like, stop offering me all this, this, you know, gear. Right. And also, interestingly enough, when you're talking about, like, um, the crafting system, I mean, that's one reason why a lot of games nowadays tend to lose my interest, even though there's a mm-hmm. lot of exploration to be done. Hamilton, we're, we're two peas in a pod. If I never <laughs> had to craft another item in a game, it would be a day too soon. Yeah, like, the less I have to worry about with that, the better, because then I personally can immerse myself in the complication of the world. Yeah. I don't want my inventory or the things that I'm carrying to be complicated. I'd rather explore because when the inventory is complicated, I almost feel like it's some like some claustrophobia. Like I don't I'm not enjoying this. I don't want to go through 20 different things in my uh in my belt. And like, oh, well you can upgrade your gr- your belt to super iron buckle plus plus if you have these items. Like, no. It is just me understanding where you're coming from. Like, I get it. If you just want to see numbers go higher with no thought, there's a game called Cookie Clicker that is excellent. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I played that briefly. I did play that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Touche. Now, we did kind of talk about you have to pay and... Or you don't have to pay, but the I, I wanted to get more into the system specifically because I wanted to explain um, how absolutely predatory and bad it is. Classic gotcha, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's it's a gachapon um, mechanics, which is basically a slot machine. Yep. Uh, you can, I, I, I liken it to a slot machine because it makes more sense over here. Either you get the f- full house or you don't. Right. Um, and it's very, very rare. The odds are extremely bad, uh, like less than half a percent in getting the five star characters, which would be a gold level. And what exactly do you get with that? Is it new characters that you can add to your party? Yeah. Um, when you play with the Gasha system, you get either weapons or characters. Mm hmm. They all have different abilities. Um, I think they're banking on the idea that people are going to play this over and over to try and get their favorite character. Mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people have ended up doing. It's like, oh, I want this, you know, anime waifu. And it's funny that so, they made a play for that because a lot of games that make a play for that are based on pre-existing properties that already have people yeah, invested in their characters. I know it. Yeah. Um, I think they will show up during storylines, so you'll okay. get to know them. Gotcha. So that's how you'll want them, I guess. But um, I, I mean, I, you can play with the system a little bit. It does guarantee a purple or a four star mm-hmm. um, every time you make ten wishes, which is the gambling mechanic. <laughs> you know, so I just want to warn you off. The odds are terrible. They're terrible. Yeah, like enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, there's another thing I wanted to say was that um, the game is not finished yet. Yeah, they keep adding content to it, right? Yeah, there's like a five to ten year plan on what they're... But um, there's only two areas right now uh, out of a planned seven or eight, I think. Right. And it's massive already. I haven't explored everything. Um, 
But yeah, I just wanted to let you know, too, it is not quite finished. Yeah, <laughs> not not even remotely, as the case may be. Nope. Well, apparently, Paimon is the name of one of the kings of hell in the uh, Lesser Keys of Solomon. So maybe that'll uh, factor into <laughs> so it. That's why the voice is so bad. <laughs> Good it's to know. To be hell on Earth. So that brings us to the second of our Breath of the Wild-inspired games, which is Ubisoft's Immortals Phoenix Rising, which, much like Genshin Impact, came out in late 2020. I just kind of tooled around in the demo for this to get an idea of it for the show, because it was, uh, much like Genshin Impact, kind of explicitly inspired by Breath of the Wild. You can really feel that playing the game. It's, uh, again, an open-world 3D game with real-time combat. The combat plays out a lot more like Assassin's Creed than Breath of the Wild in that you use the shoulder buttons and you have a light attack and a strong attack. But otherwise, it feels like Breath of the Wild as done by Ubisoft in Greek mythology. It has an ongoing like uh, a dialogue between Zeus and Prometheus, as its uh, sort of overarching framing device. Uh, In that way, it kind of resembles Blossom Tales. Um, Actually, in in a lot of ways, this resembles Blossom Tales. I encountered a boss encounter where the boss was one thing before Zeus and Prometheus argued back and forth about the thing that the boss was, and it transformed several times. Hmm. But otherwise, it's, uh, you know, it's a big open world. You, You can climb, you can paraglide. In this case, paragliding uses the wings of Daedalus, which I think is very cute. Um, But it does have an improvement, uh, much like how Genshin Impact improved on the climbing of Breath of the Wild. The paragliding here allows you to dive as well as boost and speed up your glide, Mm. which is a pretty interesting iteration on the the kind of core Breath of the Wild-inspired mechanics. It also includes diving, so you can explore under the water like what was planned for Breath of the Wild but not implemented. So it's interesting, you can almost get an idea of what one of the prototypes for Breath of the Wild was like by playing Immortals Phoenix Rising. It has these uh, interesting mini-games where you fire an arrow from your bow and then you actually control the arrow from a kind of behind-the-arrow perspective as it flies through the air and you have to guide it through various obstacle courses. It's fascinating. This game does uh, have some of the problems that I have with other sort of Zelda spiritual successors in that, uh, again, it's a bit overwritten. Um, And like Genshin Impact, it obscures some of its engaging moment-to-moment gameplay with a menu system that is just dreadful. Like you, a lot of Ubisoft games have this where you navigate the menu system with like a mouse cursor, even though it's on a console. Oh, God. You also collect a lot of equipment. And again, it's like plus 22% to this stat or like plus 5.3% to this stat, 
and also like it adds this feature but minus three percent to this other stat which drives me up a wall like that's that's not what i'm there for i want to just um you know i want to explore the environment and have a good time so uh like the equipment system in it was not to my liking but the minute to minute gameplay was uh, a really good time I think that brings us to the end of Zelda Spiritual Successors. So next, we're going to move on to our Season 1 wrap-up. So we've worked our way over the course of Season 1 from 2D to 3D to open world. We've worked our way from Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka to Yoshiaki Koizumi and then on to Eiji Aonuma and Hidemaru Fujibayashi. We've really covered the gamut when it comes to Legend of Zelda from 1986 clear up through 2021. So with that, we would like to reflect back on our favorite Zelda games. Hamilton, what are your top three Zelda games? One of the games for me would be pretty easy to determine. The other two was not. The first one would be um, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Yeah. I know that's kind of like the default, like, well, of course you like that. But I'm also like, well, of course I like that. Yeah, for good reason. It is good. It's very good. To me, they did everything right, you know? It's, the pacing's awesome. I love the um, introduction of the bosses, their names. Um, at no point was I bored. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's definitely my top. The other two are a little bit more difficult because there's different reasons as to why I like them. Yeah. The second one is easily Majora's Mask, but not for the gameplay. Yeah, I think you described it as a good book that unfortunately yeah. was a game. <laughs> like, it's an awesome book that I would love to read, not an awesome game that I would like to play again. But I yeah. love the story behind it. I love how, what they did with the lore. I like how they frame the game, where it's around the three-day system, but everyone's life kind of goes on regardless. Yeah. Number three is kind of a toss-up between either Link to the Past or Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. Um, Twilight Princess being that I liked the direction they went in terms of it being a little darker, and I liked um, how expressive people were. Yeah. Um, and I loved the final fight, but there were, like, backtracking in certain parts of the game that kind of got my goose a little bit, so Link to the Past was actually one of the first games that I ever played for Zelda. It actually kind of got me into it. And it still plays well today. I feel like it's mm-hmm. aged incredibly well. It's still a lot of fun. You can still play it today. And I feel like they just got everything right from the first Zelda. So, yeah, I think that would be my top three. Nice. What about you, Jasmine? What are your uh, top three favorite Zelda games? Yeah, you know, I had a hard time, too. And I, I definitely, um, having played some of these again, um, I think some games moved around, shuffled um, yeah. from where I, I had them before I did this podcast. Same. <laughs> but uh i would definitely have to say that my first 
uh, favorite Zelda game is Breath of the Wild. It's, a, you know, kind of an obvious one again, you know, but but I really like the open world. I like what they did with it. Um, it's just so I love the exploration. I love how expansive it is. Um, so, you know, I mean, for all the reasons we've talked about, I've definitely given my opinions on Breath of the Wild. So you you know why I like it so much. Um, so for my second one, um, I would probably put kind of like Hamilton. I put Majora's Mask in there. Yeah. Now I, I'm a little different. I like the story and stuff like that, but I actually liked the world. I liked, uh, I, I didn't mind it at all. I didn't mind the, the time limits. Uh, I didn't mind the, the gameplay. I thought it was all like really fun and interesting. Um, the Majora's Mask world is, is, you know, it's, it's dark. It's, you know, it's not a pretty place. I, 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 I kind of like that. Um, I, I like, I like the 3D system. Um, I like how it kind of constrains, you know, the gameplay and stuff, you know, but they do a lot of creative things with it. It, it seems scary at first, the three days, like, oh, how am I going to finish anything? But, you know, they give you tools to surmount that. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to change into different characters and get different reactions from people. Um, I just like the world. I just played in the world without actually, like, playing the game. I just would, like, sit there and talk to people, change my mask and talk to them again. (laughs) And then change my mask again and talk to them. Because they always have different dialogue. And it's hilarious. And I loved watching what people's schedules were during the day. Right, right. Um, I actually wouldn't mind another game like that. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was, it was pretty experimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I just I just really like the characters and the story. And I even like the gameplay. You know, I love the dungeons. Um, I especially like the water temple. Yeah. I know a lot of people hate it. <laughs> but um, the Great Bay Temple is really, it's really awesome. I love that it's this big clockwork kind of fountain thing. Um, it must make sense to my brain or something because I I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I like that a lot too. I, I think I think our gameplay uh, inclinations are very similar, Jasmine. Yeah, that that temple really worked for me. Yeah, that and the stone tower temple. I love the upside down mechanic. So good. Ah, oh, that was so amazing. Uh, so poor Triforce of the Gods. I think it got kicked out of one of its spots. <laughs> I, I really do like that game. I think it's the best that, you know, like the of the original 2D type Zelda games, but it's not really something I go back to anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably have to say my third favorite is probably the Zelda Muso or Hyrule Warriors. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. Cool. Just because it's so fun to just kind of turn your brain off and mindlessly kill enemies and just, I, I don't know, there's something about it that just works for me. Just being able to just go have some fun for a little bit not worry about it just have your power fantasy hooray do some stuff uh this does not include age of calamity of course right Mm -hmm. um age of calamity was a very poor poor sequel yeah i'm sorry Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate but yeah sometimes you just like to turn on your mind off and play and that's that's what that game lets me do just feels good it does yeah it just feels good exactly (laughs) So, Chris, what, what's your favorite Zelda games? Well, Jasmine and I are almost on the same page as we often are. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh, Breath of the Wild and Majora's Mask are kind of tied for my favorite Zelda game. Um, okay. Breath of the Wild is more fun minute to minute to play. Uh, it's it's kind of a forever game to me. 
much like uh, Super Mario World and Resident Evil 4, I don't think I'll ever stop going back to this. Mm-hmm. Like minute to minute, it's it's just it's wonderful to wander around in. Like if you have yeah eight hours to kill, you can go around and do some shrines and do some cool quests and see things you've never seen before. If you have twenty minutes to kill, you might just wander over another hill and find a Korak puzzle. Like it's yeah, just exactly it's the ultimate game. Like there's just there's nothing better to me that has been produced in the medium. Majora's Mask is not as clean or as consistently fun, perhaps. It's got a lot of rough edges, but I think that's part of its appeal. It, it captures this kind of like this grim inevitability that sometimes comes up in life more than any other piece of fiction that I've encountered. It has everything to do with how people uh, react to and deal with tragedy in different unique ways and impending tragedy and i find it just one of the most human games ever made so i I find majora's mask really engaging for that reason and frankly like jasmine a lot of fun to play like i get a kick out of wearing the different masks and rolling around as a goron you know it's not all doom and gloom (laughs) as far as my third pick for favorite zelda i think it's going to be link between worlds it's like it's a really hard toss up between Minish Cap and Link Between Worlds. <laughs> and to a lesser extent, Skyward Sword. Like, they're all great games. Yeah. Um, so, Minish Cap is uh, very simple, straightforward, clean, beautiful sprite work. Uh, in my opinion, the best sprite work that the series ever saw. And um, is just a lot of fun from start to finish. Skyward Sword is uh, a little bloated. It could stand to be a little bit shorter, but what's there is so fun to play. I love the motion controls and uh, the character development in it. All of that being said, Link Between Worlds is maybe the perfect 2D Zelda game for me. It does lose just a little bit in that its uh, level progression is a little less steady than in other Zelda games, because you can approach dungeons as you prefer. But the puzzles in dungeons are so fun, and it's just so snappy. Like, you you could spend an eternity in that little world. It, it feels kind of like the perfection of 2D Zelda, uh, even if it is 3D graphics rather than 2D graphics, uh, for better or for worse. Spencer, how about you? What are your three favorite Zelda games? Oh, I feel like it's boring if I just echo the exact same points you just made and pick the same three but (laughs) um i think my number one is going to have to be breath of the wild yeah i don't know if i would have predicted that prior to doing this podcast um but some of the older ones didn't hold up quite as well and Mm -hmm. breath of the wild was just the most fun for me um Mm -hmm. it was I think of all the ones we played, and not just because I think it's the longest, I put the most time into Breath of the Wild because it was the most fun I had and stopped me from getting distracted from other games. Once I kind of got momentum behind it, I just wanted to be playing Breath of the Wild nonstop. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty masterful the way that it keeps a lot of the kind of traditional Zelda design ideals, specifically the ones that, you know, have aged well and have kind of abandoned things that have grown sort of stale in favor of new gameplay and exploration design uh, that is just right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some people don't agree, but all the changes in Breath of the Wild made it more enjoyable to my taste. 
Yeah, same. My number two, it was kind of a toss-up, because, but I think I'm going to go with Majora's Mask. Good call. Before doing the podcast, I would have put, <laughs> yeah, before doing the podcast, I would have thought Majora's Mask was my favorite, because I think it's my favorite aesthetic. It's, I love the world that it's in. I love the way that keeping everything to that kind of three-day cycle allowed them to kind of simulate a more active and interesting world Mm -hmm. than I think, you know, the Nintendo 64 would have been capable of doing otherwise. I think that the effect that that achieved was incredible. They haven't really done it as as far as I can think of. They haven't really done anything similar to that in other Zelda games. Mm No, I like the whole structure of the side quest with the bomber's notebook, Mm -hmm. how it lets you map everybody's Mm -hmm. schedules what you've already done, you know, what you've completed. The kind of abilities that some of the masks give you and the influence that they have on gameplay is also a type of upgrade that we don't commonly see in Zelda games. Yeah. True. Yeah, the music is some of my favorite. Mm-hmm. So these are all like kind of aesthetic things. The reason why I sort of bumped it down was because I didn't have as much fun replaying it as I expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think the dungeons are as strong as Ocarina of Time. The swimming controls bugged me. I had some issues that I think might just be related to the port. I can't say for sure because I did not really go back and revisit the N64 mm-hmm. version. But I was by the time I got through Stone Temple, I was feeling a little burned out on Majora's Mask this time. But I still want to give it the number two spot just because of the kind of special things it did with the franchise, I think, are still really laudable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For number three, I was debating between <laughs> Link Between Worlds and Minish Cap. Yeah. <laughs> So for the sake of being contrarian, maybe I'll go with Minish Cap because I like the aesthetic of Minish Cap better than Link Between Worlds. As you mentioned, the sprite work is fantastic, particularly when you shrink and you see like kind of the uh, there's like specific scenes where you're miniature. The sprite work of those backgrounds is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It really is. There's a there's a humor to Minish Cap. I really like I don't really think of Zelda is a funny franchise, but there were multiple moments in Minish Cap that actually got me to laugh. Mm-hmm. So I think the the degree of charm that that kind of exudes, it goes a long way for me. It might be the best Hyrule Castle Town we've ever seen. Yeah, and there's like actual, like a, I don't want to say a dungeon segment, but there is like a puzzle segment where you navigate that town in a yep. way not dissimilar to how one may navigate a dungeon in a different Zelda game. And that's kind of unique too. Yeah. It's like an honorary bonus dungeon that you can or can't complete. Most games don't really recontextualize the town area as a level like that. Well, maybe in um, Skyward Sword, when you do the, like the, what is it? The goddess trials Mm -hmm. in Skyloft. Yeah. Good point. And, And there's a, there's a lot in Skyloft that you discover as the game continues that frankly, until you had just said this right now, I hadn't considered there being a through line from Minish Cap to Skyward Sword, but you're right. The, their two central towns are similar. I thought about Skyward Sword as well, because that's one of the few that I had never played prior to the podcast. And I was very pleasantly surprised with how good I thought that was. Um, but so honorable mention to Skyward Sword, but I wanted to give at least get what at least one 2D Zelda game on my list. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the reasons that I'm happy that Nintendo is finally remastering Skyward Sword, besides the fact that its art direction is superb and will look really good in high definition, is mm-hmm. the fact that its critical reputation has kind of suffered over the years. And for my money, it is 
one of the best Zelda games. Uh, like, yeah. like the motion controls really sync it for some folks. But like, I swear, playing it minute to minute, like it's got the best dungeons. It's got fantastic characterization, top-notch art design. Uh, and combat encounters are a hoot, so I'm I'm hoping that it gets something of a critical reappraisal when the remaster comes out. Well, with that, we have come to the end of season one of Franchise Festival. We've been your hosts, Christian, and I'm Hamilton. I'm Jasmine. I'm Spencer. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Season 1 as much as we've enjoyed recording it, and encourage you to visit our website at FranchiseFestivalPodcast.com for show notes, news, articles on other video game series, and more. You can also write to us at FranchiseFestival at gmail.com if you have any requests, suggestions, or other feedback. Be sure to check out our coverage of Capcom's Resident Evil for Franchise Festival Season 2, which is planned to make its debut on all major podcast apps on July 1st, 2021. Until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye.